0: In this episode, we're bringing you my conversation with David Cohen, entrepreneur and founding partner of Techstars. In this episode, we're going to dive into what it means to build bridges and relationships beyond raising capital, across the spectrum of business and life. We're also going to share success stories in surprising places like Buffalo, New York, and what it means to take the long view. Developing an ecosystem takes time. Which of these leaders and entrepreneurs in the community are going to be here 20 years from now? Please enjoy my conversation with David Cohen. All right, great. Well, let's uh, get into it. David Cohen, co-founder of Techstars. Welcome to Fast Frontiers. Thanks for
1: having me, excited to hang out with
0: you. Most people know about Techstars, known globally for Startup Weekend and 50 plus accelerator programs. Uh, but in addition to that, you know the startup ecosystem development work that you've done uh, all over in various communities and partnering with very large companies, including the Techstars Pathfinder membership, which helps business uh, navigate the entrepreneurial ecosystem and find and connect with the world's most promising startups. So they can find and deliver innovation in their businesses. Uh, Dave, we connected years back to is as an investor in the Techstars Fund. We'd love to share a little bit more of just your background and kind of how that came about. I know you've probably told that story a lot, but I think that it's important to kind of get the context and the lens in terms of how you deal with and and think about investing in entrepreneurship.
1: Sure. Oh well, gosh, it's a long story, but I'll try to make it really short and then you can dive in if you if you want. Yeah. But, you know, I, I usually describe myself as a lifetime entrepreneur. I've had one job interview in my life and I went 1-0 and on that front and got a job uh, working in a little dispatch center in, in uh, Orlando, Florida. You know, that's where I met my co-founder uh, of Techstars, one of my co-founders, David Brown who I ended up starting multiple business with, including Techstars. But back at that time, you know, we created a dispatch software company to basically make what I had been hired to do easier and better for the market. Uh, so kind of a you know, classic entrepreneur, get, you know, sort of see a problem through that first job and then decide, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to go create solutions. So,
0: what role did your family have in that? Did you have any uh, family entrepreneurship?
1: Yeah my my dad was a CPA and had his own firm and his name was the first name on the on the firm name so you know sort of accounting and I I would go in there and and sort of see the office when I was a kid and you know help out with some things and so I I sort of grew up around him being an entrepreneur but not sort of in the high tech way that that we necessarily think about today so you know long story short after building up that first uh, dispatch company you know sold that successfully to a public company Had another, a couple of startups, um, one in the music uh, news space and one, you know, kind of social networking uh, early on in mobile. One worked, one didn't. Um, Mm -hmm. And then started angel investing. Really, really enjoyed that. And then Techstars was sort of born of that angel investing experience and dissatisfaction with the way that that worked.
0: One of the things that uh, you're known for with Techstars, I think it's a great program, is your Give First program. But I actually don't know how that started. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, so give first is one of the four uh, core values of, of TechStars, um, which is really just you know reflective of when we founded the company. And of course, you know Brad Feld um, was one of our
0: mm-hmm. co-founders,
1: uh, as was Jared Polis, who you know is now our governor in, in Colorado, thankfully doing an amazing job here. You know, we we have always believed that you know, if you sort of give before you get and, and you do it in a way that's non-transactional, uh, that you end up getting more back from the network effects in the goodwill that you create. And of course, uh, you know, since that time, there've been entire books written on this topic, like Give and Take, which is a great book by Adam Grant and and, and other books. Um, but But I think it's that notion of If we can be helpful, we want to be helpful and we don't really expect anything back. And that has been just incredibly powerful for us. So it's really just a value.
0: Yeah, that uh, Adam Grant's book really helped me because I've operated that way and sometimes felt bad about it. Or people would say stuff about focus and why am I taking these meetings and, you know, and uh, spending time with these entrepreneurs. And uh, I felt a lot better after reading that and his story, you know, David Hornick from August. That was great.
1: I find that that most good investors understand this dynamic and and many are givers. Doesn't mean you give forever with you know without ever getting anything back or get abused, you know, because that's the right. wrong version of it. But mm-hmm. and then we just shortened it to give first, threw it out as a hashtag. And you know, we don't own the concept, but we 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 do have it as a core value.
0: When you when you're you're operating in so many different geographies and when we think about kind of future frontiers and potentially multiple Silicon Valleys operating. Uh, one of the things I think that is missing that you do have in Silicon Valley is you have those fast feedback loops, right? People are learning from each other very quickly. Whereas if you're, you know, Cincinnati to Boulder, we're not connecting that often, right? As much as we might like to, it's just very difficult. And so, I've often wondered how do you how do you replicate that? We may be learning during the crisis how to do that with more Zoom calls what how have you seen that i mean the the network effect within the TechStars network is obviously a big component right
1: yeah i mean we described our we describe ourselves as you know this worldwide network that helps entrepreneurs succeed that is really the value the value is not necessarily the accelerator it's being a part of that network and the accelerators you know, simply one way you're born into that network you know i do think that that sort of during the pandemic right we're, we're, we've learned uh, that you can have virtual relationships, and you know, if you have no other choice, uh, guess what? It, it can work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think you know one of the keys to all of this, and, and you know Brad Feld, of course, wrote about it in the Startup Communities book. Uh, I'm looking forward to the sequel coming out soon, Startup Community Way. It, it is building those bridges, right? So it's being conscious about um, having relationships, not just for capital, but you know across the spectrum through different communities. And it doesn't take a lot of people in any one community to be leaders in that way and to build those bridges to enable them for the whole community. So I think Brad and Boulder was a great example of that. Coming from Boston, having lots of connections all over the US and the world, bringing a lot of credibility to Boulder really helped us. And that's the center thesis of his, his book, right? The Boulder thesis about how that ecosystem evolved. But I think, you know, you and I can do it, right? We can bridge places like Cincinnati and Boulder. And of course you have to pay attention to New York and Boston and LA and San Francisco as well.
0: And those, someone, as someone said to me before, you know, cities don't collaborate with each other. you know, people, people collaborate with each other. Right. So it it does end up being very much personal as much as you try to put the systems in place. You need to create those personal networks as well. Right. So I was just saying, I noticed, um, you just did an interview with Jesse Marble and a a botch cast, which i I love that concept
1: yeah, it was a lot of fun, and I've actually long wanted to write a book about startup failure. I think people talk way too much about success. our whole industry you know has a systemic problem of patting itself on the back. We really need to share the stories of failure and what the takeaways of the entrepreneurs were because there's as you know, so much more learning there so It was fun to kind of talk about, you know, dive into my own failures and and failures we've seen in the network uh, rather than, you know, what most people do is pretend those don't exist and talk about the successes. But I think people love hearing those stories.
0: Yeah, that's that's where the learning happens. Right. That's how I was was so interested to see that. And I think uh, having more of those stories is good. And and, uh, obviously with the goal of learning, not not to be critical, of course.
1: Well, I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they can't talk about it for a year or two. So yeah. one of the things we give ourselves permission to do when we're thinking about, you know, our own book on this topic um, was to to give it some time, right? Give people two or three years. So I wrote a blog post that was very cathartic about my startup failure called Life in the Deadpool. Yeah. And that really is one of my most popular posts. I shared why the company failed, what we did wrong. You know, you, you sort of, you really learn that lesson, right? Or several mm-hmm. lessons around that. Sharing it is valuable.
0: Right. That's a good idea to give it give it some time. It, maybe the book name could be too soon? Question mark. <laughs>
1: yeah, I like that. It's better than Eft Company, which uh, was a great book also.
0: So, share with me uh, maybe a, a success story. So, from from failure to success, in a surprising area. I know you're in markets like Louisville and Atlanta and Omaha and Buffalo and had some interesting things going on. Doing quite a bit in Buffalo, I believe, right, in terms of ecosystem development
1: yeah we we are working currently you know as we as we speak in four or five cities and communities around the world you mm-hmm. know, to help develop ecosystems and buffalo was the first one that, that we started working on and it's sort of applying a lot of the principles from you know brad's book startup communities and and sort of really a lot of cultural work right i mean that's that's the hard work that has to be done in communities is to you know, help angel investors understand how they can help, help mentors understand, you know, things like the Mentor Manifesto and how they can help. And help entrepreneurs understand how to engage in big companies, right? And, and, and really what everyone's role is and how they should think about it. Because there's, there's so much of that work that's wrong in so many places. It's just counterintuitive. So that's that's what we do in those communities.
0: Yeah, the uh, through the work that I was doing with Centrifuge, the, the word that comes to mind for me that's different is expectations. The word I didn't, it's not just about capital. It's about the expectations that entrepreneurs have for their idea and their vision, the expectations investors have. How would you break down those and, and how do you deal with some of those cultural elements? Like, what have you seen?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to have a set of leaders. Those leaders are going to be entrepreneurs and they have to just have conversations and they have to lead by example. Right. And so there are, there are going to be entrepreneurs in the community that are angel investors. Right. And so mm-hmm. what you will be followed because they'll be viewed as having been successful in the industry. And, and, you know, if not with their investments, but their own activities. And so, you know, it's sort of these notions like give first that we talked about earlier, you know, very counterintuitive for a lot of people. If I'm going to help you, what do I get? Right. Versus if I help you, the community will get better and I'll have more opportunity Sometime in the future, so you know it—it it is attitudes, and it—it's—it's it's often not, you know, bad intention. Right. Will have the best desires to help their community succeed, to help more startups succeed, but they just don't always know how to do it. And so it's a lot of conversations and a lot of leading by example.
0: It also seems like it's framing things from a long-term perspective, not short-term. It's typically, when you think of transactional, you think short-term, right? What I get now. Yeah. Instead of the delayed gratification.
1: Yeah. I mean, the language we use around that is it's 20 years from today
0: mm-hmm.
1: or it'll be 20 years from tomorrow. And, you know, the first question you can ask is you can look around the room and, and I've done this in Cincinnati when I come hang out with Centrifuge, right? We, yep. we ask the room who, who loves Cincinnati and, you know, hands go up, who, you know, is going to be here in 20 years. And some of the hands go up, you know, some people mm-hmm. know for sure they're going to be there in 20 years. Who of those people are entrepreneurs? The hands that are still up after all those questions are the leaders of that community, right? They have a long view. They're entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. right? They love it there, and they want to make it better. Those are the people that we should all say, "How can we help you?"
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's uh, something we really try to do when at Centrifuge was not wait for the entrepreneurs to come to us, but to be to proactively find them and say, "Hey, what what are you working on? It's interesting. How can we help?" Because obviously building a company is really hard and, and uh, to do it and to kind of have the city on your back as well is even harder.
1: Yeah, but if, but if you get that as a tailwind, right, where the whole city is that's talking great. about you and excited and everybody wants to invest in you, whether that's with mentorship or capital or just promotion, that can be a huge tailwind for a startup. And that's one of the magical things about something like Techstars where, you know, 10 companies a year, the whole community gets behind them. Mm-hmm. It shows up for them, right, in many different ways. And that can have an enormous impact.
0: So, Can you share more specifically about what you're seeing in Buffalo? Who's sure. The, who the major players are?
1: Yeah, so so Buffalo is an interesting sort of example because, you know, these, these places are, in terms of their entrepreneurial communities, small enough to really fully grasp and understand. And Boulder used to be like that, although now it's sort of harder to catalog. But, you know, basically, you know, there was one very large successful company in, in Buffalo that was born and raised there. There's a mafia effect around that company. So the startups that have been born, you know, led by executives or founders of that first company have attracted capital, have used their own capital, have done well. Um, and so you now have, you know, a few unicorns, right, that have been born out of that mafia. One of them, a kind of Jack, is working with us on ecosystem development. He founded a company that did really well but it 's still very much this kind of mafia effect, right The capital's only coming from those people, the mentorship's only coming from those people and you know through the work we 're doing, we now have you know six thousand people on a mailing list that are communicating about what 's going on you know a few venture funds are starting to be you know born in the community. Um, and what's fascinating is Buckle is one of the fifty biggest cities in the u s so no reason it can't be super successful, right? Uh, the raw materials are there there's wealth, there's intelligence, there's capability. Uh, but the community has never sort of organized itself uh, until pretty recently then then you have groups there's a group there that does a five million dollar giveaway to a startup every year, hmm. which is an awesome thing, and you know they're attracting companies to to build their business in Buffalo because of that kind of capital availability. So it's some strong leadership there, but again, I think the people have a 20 year view. It's not going to change overnight. It's going to change over a long period of time.
0: Yeah. So as it relates to time, the notion of fast frontiers is that uh, innovations and, and new uh, technology innovations kind of have reached more people faster every subsequent innovation, right? It just accelerates the time it takes to reach 50 million people, hundred million people. Do you think that's true, and what what do you see today that kind of would represent kind of that next frontier that's fast moving that you see from a national or global
1: perspective? In terms of the geographies, you mean? Yes. Well, yeah. well, I, I think um, you know there's often been this cliche or statement, right? That Silicon Valley is an idea. It's a state of mind. It's a it's not a place, right? It's a way of thinking. And that's never been more true than in the moment where we're talking, right? We're we're all you know locked down in our houses and you know dealing with the pandemic, and you know it's even more so, right? It, there are no boundaries, you know. Where is this call happening? Right. It's virtual, right? I've, I've been in five countries today, if you want to count, you know, the calls I've done. So it's a lot easier to travel and get around. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think that you know we're we're seeing you know in in places you know like Detroit right? Like Atlanta, Cincinnati, where we funded plenty of companies, pretty much everywhere you look, you can now go, wow, there's a really interesting company or three or five or 20 being built mm-hmm. there. And so I think it's already happened and we just haven't noticed it. Um, so that's why I love the theme of your podcast. You know, a, a lot of the big companies that have grown up around tech stars are now Bay Area companies or New York companies. No but They didn't start there. You know, SendGrid, which went public, right? The first ever accelerator company to go public. Born outside of LA, incubated in Boulder, you know, grew up offices in Denver and San Francisco. And if you ask people in the Bay Area, they say, "Oh, yes, another great Bay Area company." Yeah, no, actually, there's just the business development office there. And then Twilio acquired it, and that's sort of the story. But you know, these companies are being built not just all over the U.S., but all over the world, and and it's just a a very obvious pattern in a mega trend.
0: Given the the coronavirus. Crisis and and the remote work, how many of the companies are you seeing that are now 100 percent remote work, or you know adjusting and assuming that this is going to be a, a permanent way of working, and how important or less important is is place at this point for these startups?
1: Yeah, I mean my we've done a lot of thinking around this topic and how the world is is going to change mm-hmm. because of it, reflecting on our own business and as investors uh, in, in the future. And I think, you know, place is always gonna be important. We're humans, you know, we like socializing, we like seeing each other in person, we like, you know, having a drink or a meal together. And, and I, don't, I don't think that ever really goes away, but those social circles probably do get smaller, right? I, I don't want to go do that in London for a five minute meeting like I used to be willing to do. Right. And, you know, many industries that have historically been completely resistant to virtualization are being transformed, right? I mean, you know, medical healthcare. Not every meeting needs to be in a doctor's office, person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, things like education, obviously, you know, still, still, lots of room for improvement. <laughs> I don't know okay. if you had to deal with that, but you know, hey, we can do it if we have to do it, right? And so, you know, I think investing and I think building a team is another one. So, you know, TechStars has, you know, we're a small company, three hundred so people, and you know, those people are in 30 countries. So we just grew up this way because of the work we do around the world. And I think it's a real advantage because we can hire anyone anywhere. And I think a lot of our portfolio has figured that out. Like they've been hiring during a pandemic, they can do it. And a lot of people are saying, I don't want to go back to the office.
0: Sort of like being a digital native. You're growing up without the idea that everybody has to be in the same place.
1: or the the myth that you can't do it if you're not in the same place and you know companies like wordpress you know matt's company you know automatic have known this forever they built their entire company virtual from day one the only office they had was for get-togethers once in a while and and you know obviously you know if you're going to power like what a third of the internet with your software you're doing something pretty important so it, it is possible and it's more affordable uh, and during an economic downturn, that probably matters. So I, I think you'll see a lot more of that, and a lot less focus on you have to be in the same room all the time.
0: Speaking of affordable, when you think about talent, you know, a lot of times I would get this question: Oh, you're investing in, you know, name the city. Is it hard to get technical talent? And my comeback is typically: Have you tried to hire in Silicon Valley? Yeah. So, what are you seeing on that front? And are, are people? Because it does seem like it's a strategic advantage to be able to hire in cities where you're not competing with Google and Facebook and LinkedIn for that talent.
1: Yeah. And this dynamic exchange, I mean, I, you know, here in Boulder, you know, we had a startup that was acquired by Google, uh, 10 years ago and Google now has, I don't know, a couple thousand employees here, which doesn't sound like much, but it's 2% of the town, right? We're a pretty small town. And so we now do compete with Google for that kind of talent, but Google also attracts that kind of talent. So the, the real issue is, you know, as you grow and you start to really get bigger, you know, it's no longer a matter of finding one or two good engineers or one or two good designers. It's finding 50 or 100 or 300.
0: Right.
1: And, you know, what I see the portfolio doing is setting up second, you know, locations. Maybe that's in a place like, you know, Chattanooga, right, where they have you know, have great talent and they set up a second location there and they compete there. And, and it's sort of, you know, brought in or remote in that way. So they're getting creative. I think this just adds to it where I'm, I'm now willing to hire someone wherever they are, because I, I know my workforce is going to work this way. And we're lucky in this industry that we can do that. So we should leverage it.
0: So what are, what are other frontiers, not geographic, uh, other frontiers in that you think of or you're seeing right now in terms of technology and innovation?
1: So, just you know, generally in in areas for innovation, I think one thing is that you know people are now used to these virtual experiences. Like my my mom, right, has now had you know groceries delivered to her house by one of the services, right, and she's now been on Zoom. I never thought those things would ever happen to my mom, right? Um, And you know, she understands. Oh, Zoom, that's different. I can do different things with it, and. And so a very large, you know, swath of the population has now been exposed to these things in an accelerated manner. And they're being exposed to gig economy. They're being exposed to virtualized services. So I I think, you know, home services, people are spending more time at home. They want to do more at home. They want their home to be better. Is a big, interesting area. You know, we, we just launched, we asked our community, what accelerator should we do next? And the answer was, you know, workforce development. Uh, so we just launched a program uh, here in Colorado that's that's focused on kind of the future of work and workforce development, you know, better environment for workers, better benefits for workers, um, better ways of working. Mm-hmm. And we aggregated, you know, 10 or 20 of the biggest companies in Colorado to help sponsor it. who want to actually use these kind of uh, technologies. So I, I think, you know, the the, the industries I mentioned earlier, education, telemedicine, remote health right, and in general, I think these are all going to see a a wave like 2009 saw a wave, you know, we're going to look back and say, oh, 2020, like, what a great year to have started a company, like, when I look back on 2009, at the end of the last recession, you know, that's my year I funded Uber, Twilio, SendGrid, right, and a few others, you know, all in one year, right, and it was like, a crappy year and their valuations were low but they're pretty happy about how the outcome went. So I think 2020 will be a year like that for innovation.
0: Yeah, uh I agree. I, I think uh, most of the most interesting and successful things I've been involved with were after those those events and those cycles. How how has your the the Techstars portfolio how's that been the last couple months, you know, dealing with the crisis and and sharing with yeah. everybody here's what you do, you know. Big cash lasts forever, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, anyone who's listening that has a portfolio knows the answer to that question because you heard from pretty much everyone in your portfolio. And in our case, that's 2,200 companies. So the average tech stars employee talked to seven, but really like a lot more called people like me or, or, you know, my partners. So we pretty much went through the portfolio and talked to everybody. And there's a, a surprising percentage that have tailwinds, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know... Companies like, like Well Health, right, that are in the space, you know, message delivery around healthcare or Tasso that does, you know, blood draw at home, right? I mean, it's just massive new interests uh, in, in both investing, but in the product. Mm-hmm. That, that's fun to see because it's like, well, how do I take advantage of this, right? We need more, you know, right. resources. That's probably 20% of what I saw, more than right. I thought. You know, the other end of the spectrum, you know, 20% was, wow, we were just about to go raise money. You know, we're almost out of cash.
0: It's bad timing.
1: Oh, you know, and, and these a lot of those companies are are, are going to die or, you know, the advice we give them is go back to your existing investors and give them the price from two years ago. Like you just need to, you know, stay alive during this. And then you got everybody in between the sort of, you know, figuring out how to deal with it. whether that's do I take PPP? Right. Uh, do I, you know, do furloughs or reductions in, in workforce? And, and it's sort of managing through that. A, a big number of those are going to actually be in pretty good positions when they get out the other end,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? We, we have uh, one board I'm on. is called Chowbotics. It's food robots, robots that make food. So nobody wants a salad bar. Nobody wants like open food environments. Right. Massive demand, but nobody buying right now, right? So they just have to kind of get to the other side stronger. So that's the advice. Come out stronger. That mm-hmm. We talk to everybody about and we think about how that works for each individual company.
0: That's good. What what have you learned in terms of? Uh, I mean, when you mentioned some of the companies not surviving, how have you handled delivering that news? Some of the tough news, like, hey, we're not going to be able to fund you again. I'm I'm sure that's changed, or you've learned a lot yourself over time as an investor in terms of how to communicate with entrepreneurs. How 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 do you do it?
1: Yeah, I mean, the way we invest today, you know, we're really co-investors with rounds that are occurring, as opposed to sort of, you know, large investors in individual mm-hmm. Um, You know, we have seen plenty of that uh, where they just look, we can only, you know, you don't have enough progress for us to, you know, put more money in that happens anyway in the real world. Um, but it happened a bit more because, you know, you, you sort of needed more capital for the companies that were doing well. Uh, and so you saw a lot of that kind of allocation challenge, but I, I think it's really, you know, more than anything, it's, you know, being a counselor, right? And, and sort of saying, you know, yeah, if you're at the end of the road, like here's the right way to wind it down. You know, it's also being creative to try to not have that happen, but in some cases it's going to. And, you know, how entrepreneurs do in that situation reflects on what they can do in the future in the investor community as well.
0: I found that the uh, if you give the entrepreneur enough heads up, they'll get more creative about how to manage, you know, the potential path forward. And uh, in my early days in venture, I, I think I saw a lot of folks, a lot of investors, unfortunately, try to maintain some kind of optionality and not give the entrepreneur a clear signal like we're going to be there, we're not, yeah. and then they just you know, they crash. Because the, the path of least resistance is raising money from your existing investors,
1: right? So if you if you believe that fantasy is going to happen when it's not, you spend an awful lot of energy right in that zone, and then you don't spend enough energy finding someone new. So yeah, clarity from from those, and and, and I would say like most. Of, of the, you know, our peers in the industry have done a pretty good job with that in general. There, there's, a, of course, when things go south, right, there's some weird things that happen, shady deals, bad behavior, lots of retrading, things happening in terms of terms. But, you know, generally speaking, I have found that most of our companies have said, you know, my my primary lead investor has said this to me and I'm, you know, that's pretty clear and I'm working from there. So that that is very helpful.
0: I'm sure you have a lot of interactions with the universities and research universities in particular. Any standouts in terms of some of those universities where you're seeing, you know, research or talent come out that's really impressed you?
1: One I'll mention. The other that comes to mind is someplace like Waterloo, um, up in the Toronto area in Canada. If you've ever spent any time there, I mean, very entrepreneurial programs. You can walk up and down garages of startups on campus. It's part of the curriculum you know, you learn by doing. So I think these sort of experiential, you know, ways of educating are, are the future. And as education, especially, you know, higher ed gets disrupted over the next 10 or 20 years, which I think is also inevitable. You know, people don't want to pay as much for a degree, right? They want to pay I for talk, it.
0: Yeah, talk about another industry that's getting impacted here and potential future frontier.
1: Huge, huge.
0: It's interesting to watch how universities are trying to restart as well, right? And uh, I think they've seen that the, they can't do everything online. You like said there there are some things that you need to be in person for. And I'm interested in seeing what we learn from that in terms of what's working and what's not working.
1: I think that some universities aren't gonna be able to continue and, and it'll be kind of surprising which ones those are. And, you know, even reading like, look, college football may not happen. Uh, that may actually kill some universities by itself, mm-hmm. right? I mean. It's crazy how little support there is for some of them in the real world.
0: What what have you seen in terms of from an investor standpoint in terms of other investors, you know, your co-investors or the follow-on investors, you know, following on the A's or the B rounds of companies you're in, and how they're embracing, and and look at companies, you know, if they're especially if they're coastal firms, right, if they're East Coast or West Coast venture firms, have you seen that their attitude uh, and um, interest? Changing in the last several years?
1: Yes and no. I mean, we 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 are fortunate. I mean, we can see a lot of the data from the venture community by the documents that flow across our legal team's desk. We we process more financings than Cooley does every year oh uh, internally <laughs> as an example. And you know, five percent of all series A's right start at Techstars now. So it's a pretty meaningful sample and and we have data about when financing start and finish. And there has not been a blip in financings, you know, that that, that are starting. It just just continued at the same pace, which is really surprising. Mm-hmm. I have that data on my personal blog uh, at davidgcohen.com and I'm about to refresh it. M&A fell off a cliff and has come right back. Yeah. In terms of when things are starting, it went to zero sort of April-ish. And then it slowly came back by the bigger companies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, investors have money and need to invest. The capital has to go somewhere. As you know, an enormous amount of capital for early stage startups has been raised over the last five, 10 years, you know, records every year, it's out there, it needs to be invested. You know, the angels freaked out for a little while, but when you pull all your money out of the stock market, what are you going to do with it, right? You need some alpha from somewhere. So we actually are not seeing much of a slowdown and we're not seeing much price adjustment. There's a valuation, which is really surprising, a little, but not a ton. So, you know, the market is is still pretty active and investors have been moving towards, you know, I'll fund anything in in the U.S. or I'll fund anything in the world. And I think they're still moving that way. Um, But we're just really now seeing the first deals closing that have been completely virtual, right? They met online, they never sat in a room together and the check got written. That's just sort of now happening. Looking at other data from our demo days, uh, which we moved to virtual, obviously, three to five X the attendance um, in a place like Abu Dhabi, where we ran a demo day, you know, <laughs> five to 10 X. Wow. Uh, you're not gonna get on a plane to go there from the Bay Area or New York, but you're gonna jump on Zoom and check it out, right? At least look at a few companies. The world is open in that sense, and that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, that's a big help for entrepreneurs to know now they have a bigger audience. It also underscores what I call the the first principle, which is capital follows growth. So whether it's a pandemic, You know, no matter what, if you're if you have a company that's growing and has good metrics, you're going to raise money, regardless of where you're located.
1: And it used to be that money was going to come from your local community, and then there was going to be a co-investor. Now it's like, well, that company's pretty interesting, even though it's somewhere that I don't normally go. And one of the things I also see happening is is you've got you know firms that have one investment, you know, in some place, you know, maybe they have one big investment in Cincinnati or one big investment in Boulder. And, you know, they are highly likely to have another investment in that community because that partner is already doing board meetings, right, is getting signal from that community. So that's a good hack for entrepreneurs is look for investors that have done one, but not two or three.
0: Yes, for entrepreneurs and for and for those ecosystems, too. I mean, I think they could, if they know that a Techstars partner or an NEA partner or somebody's coming to town for a board meeting, they should reach out to the CEO the CEOs could do more to say, hey, you're flying into town. If you have an afternoon left, let us help you set up some other meetings.
1: Yeah, and the best communities do that naturally. I mean, was is fantastic at that. And yeah. you know, when, when I came for a connexus board meeting or whatever, right, there was always like 20 other things to do. And that's the notion of density in our mm-hmm. ecosystem work, right? Having a small part of town you, know, you could walk from Centrifuge over to, you know, p g That's useful for an investor who's in town for one day.
0: Yeah. Congrats, by the way, Coupa acquiring Connexus out of Cincinnati. And we worked together on that one a few years ago when you guys invested.
1: Yeah, interesting ride. And, and I just actually checked in with Rod today. And I said, how's it going inside the you know, corporate machinery? So it's a new world for him. But again, more connections, right, for That's the good. community long term
0: so what's what's next for you for techstars you had the accelerator split to the fund what do you think how does your model evolve
1: you know we we have been building you know busily building this accelerator footprint you know now we fund more than 500 companies a year in that model you know we've been introducing other models like a like a studio model um, which is a virtual studio. We don't actually build startups, but we, we use the talent from our network to build startups that people are interested in building. Because uh, often the challenge is finding the talent. But, but really sort of the verticalization of what we do is, has been a heavy focus. You know, you, you mentioned Pathfinder at the open. That, that's a way that people who have specific vertical interests can engage with Techstars, right? And so we're trying to really build out industry expertise uh, in verticals like healthcare or aerospace.
0: Who's involved in aerospace?
1: Uh, we've been working a lot with JPL you know, and NASA and you know the US Air Force, right? And a bunch of other organizations. Mm-hmm. We're actually funding about 20 companies a year uh, in that uh, vertical now and adding partners to it, right? So it's mm-hmm. very powerful for the startups to have all these partners engaged in it regardless of where their you know, accelerator experience is. So, so you'll
0: take so you'll you'll source the startups from any of the geographies.
1: Absolutely, there'll be uh, there'll be some programs that are specific to an industry. So, for example, you know aerospace we have a program in LA, and then we have a virtual a virtual native program that's been virtual all along. You know, sort of thinking about the network more holistically. Who are the mentors across the ten thousand globally that know aerospace? Who are the portfolio that are working in aerospace? How do we more intelligently connect them to those partners? So that we're really adding a lot more value post accelerator than we have historically.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible network and incredible value that you're that you're adding. Uh, it'll be exciting to see where that goes next when we talk next, because uh, I'm sure you won't sit still or you know s- stay on the same uh, model for long. You're an entrepreneur, so I'll be right
1: here in my virtual office. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that may not change. Yeah. So yeah. so the house <laughs> is going to be the next frontier. I think that's what we figured out, right?
1: yeah i don't i don't think i'm i mean i'm, I'm probably get back to travel and but I, I don't know that i'll work in an office right it's not that i it's not that i don't mm-hmm. that i'm somehow scared of it it's that actually i feel pretty productive here i i'm getting a lot more done right so
0: well um, thank you Dave. this has been great to catch up
1: thanks for having me on and congrats on, on getting the show going i think it's a great topic and uh love to check in uh you know fast forward a few years if it works
0: absolutely, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website www.fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with others and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Again, in this first week of Fast Frontiers Season One, we have three great conversations to share. You can listen to them all right now. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with Tim Galeri, Managing Director of Sierra Ventures.